0: Welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this is episode number 38. And this week we've got Angie Miller on the podcast who is originally from Australia um, but she is over in Scotland working on The Schemers film uh, which is the first feature-length film production to come out of Dundee. Um, I'm really excited to see it when it's coming out. Everything I've heard about it has been super positive. And there's a few links in the show notes to tell you a bit more about that. Um, but Angie, I mean, looking at her IMDB, she's got an amazing history, um, the productions that she's worked on from Mad Max to Survivor to Superman, Peter Pan, yeah. And we talk a bit about that and a bit about her experiences and what, an, what a script supervisor is, because before I met her, I had, to be honest, I had absolutely no idea. But yeah, so we, we sort of go through a journey up to this point and, and how she ended up in Dundee, I suppose a bit by chance um, and a bit by sort of social media. And, and... But before we get started with the chat, uh, one thing I'd like to highlight, a project that's been going on for the last few months um, It's called Open Closed Dundee um, and it's Dundee's first street art trail. It's a whole load of painted doors down the sort of side streets and back alleys of the city. Um, it's a series of, I think, 17 doors now and you can wander around and you can pick up a map and there's a list of all the stores that are um, selling the maps in the show notes and it's a pound for a map or you can go on the website openclosedundee.co.uk and you can check out all the sites there um, get a little preview find out a bit about the artists and then go for a wander Um, it's great for an afternoon Um, yeah i've taken fred round the mall with a little walk uh, yeah, taking the dog, it's great, uh, just as a, as a little lunchtime break. And you kind of get to see bits of the city that you wouldn't normally walk down. Um, so it's really nice to see the city from a different perspective. Um, and you can get around it in less than an hour, so yeah, perfect for a lunchtime. So again, yeah, check that out, it's openclosedundee.co.uk. So, yeah, uh, let's get into the episode. So this is number 38, and this is with Angie Miller.
1: I grew up watching Hitchcock and uh, James Bond movies with my dad every Friday and Saturday night, (laughs) which was really um, educational, obviously, uh, subconsciously, I guess, educational towards the end. And I always wanted to um, figure out how they made those types of shows, Hitchcock being a TV show and um, Bond movies, obviously there was a lot of stunts and things, and because I enjoyed them so much and my dad and I would laugh a lot. Um, and they were really cool for that era as well. So I really just wanted to know and f- how those films were made. And the stories were always really funny and really succinct and to the point and the characters were brilliant. So um, I guess that's where I started the love of... Filmmaking.
0: So, how did you take that that forward? Then, obviously, you watched those films, but did you then go on to study that? Uh,
1: Yes, I went to the Australian Film School um, and studied script supervising um, slash continuity. There's um, a couple of different names for the role. Um, Over the years, uh, it has been script girl. And um, more recently, scripty.
0: How did you feel about the term script girl?
1: Oh, that came from old Hollywood. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so So there was always a girl in the position because the role in those days was they would take notes and sit next to the director, and the director always tended to like a girl. There was always (laughs) tended to be male directors. So, yeah, so... um, Now we're called Scripties, which I think is pretty cool. Um, And, yes, so I studied there for one full year, and that was practical as well as theory. We would go out on set, uh, TV sets and film sets, and we would shadow uh, a professional script supervisor, and we would just basically watch over their shoulder what, what they were doing, what they were looking out for, and going back after the end of the day shoot and then we would just figure out, it uh, be taught, you know. Okay. They would explain what they've done during so d- the day.
0: Excuse my ignorance, but like, what does a script <laughs> yeah, supervisor actually do? <laughs>
1: That's okay. Um, so a script supervisor is really the conduit person for the editor and director. So the director needs a second kind of pair of eyes on set um, who looks at the script, the props, the costumes uh, and the story and makes sure that everything is being filmed as per the script. Mm. And the editor is always offset in their edit suite and they look at, my notes at the end of every day to see what has been shot, what scenes of the script have been shot, and what hasn't been shot. And then they can marry up the scenes and uh, the shots of the scenes. So I guess, for example, in one scene, there would be a minimum of five different shots and different angles for the camera so the camera angles tell the story and then all that footage is given to the editor and then he marries up that particular scene so it's quite detailed yeah
0: so you sort of are you scribbling on top of a script or you have a separate notebook or how, how does that documentation actually work? Yeah, then?
1: yeah, both. Both? Both. Yeah, so we have a, um, a script in front of us and then we have our log taking, log note um, pages and... Yeah, it's very messy. We we (laughs) write all over the script and um, different colours um, marry up the different notes of, you know, that you're writing down, like next to the script as well. Um, I'm still using paper and pen, but um, the discipline has moved on to uh, electronic um, with a program called Script E, which... um, isn't for everybody and you don't actually have to go the the technology way. I, u- I still use paper and pen and so do a lot of people here in the UK as well as um, Australia. So it really is up to the person and how they um, kind of organise their notes. So have the you tried
0: way. it and sort of felt, yeah, that's, that's not
1: for me? I haven't felt no, no, okay. I will, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I promise myself I will for the next film because... I just, I need to, right. you know, do, uh, uh, I guess I need to move with the times. So <laughs> I'm quite traditional, so. Um, but I mean, it's the kind of thing,
0: having like, done a bit of software uh, design and stuff, I can imagine there'd the be a lot of mechanisms in there to, to help you save time. Yes. But you'll lose that, the tactility of just having a notebook and sort of yeah. like, being able to scribble down. And...
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So um, you studied for, you sort of studying for f- the first year, Yes. Um, and then did you move on from there then? Did you go into the industry or did you go continue your studying? Uh,
1: yes. I uh, I was production managing a stage play. Okay. And uh, one of the girls uh, in the production, um, we got together to produce our first little low-budget feature film. Um, and that was after film school. So... Um, we were very naive <laughs> about it. We, um, we, she had just finished uni, and I had just come out of film school. So we were, you know, ready to go and thinking, "Oh yeah, this will be easy." <laughs> and um, we ended up raising fifty thousand dollars fifteen years ago, which wow. is yeah, which is quite quite an amount. We had a six week shoot and managed to get catering for free and a beer sponsor at the end for our wrap party (laughs) and we spent the the money on props and costumes and and paying the crew so yeah so that was our first kind of (laughs) naive attempt at making a film but we made it (laughs) and it went really well and um, from there we ended up uh, getting an agent each, okay, and finding and then being offered freelance.
0: Because I mean, was that just, so did you do several projects before you actually went into the, the sort of freelancing realm of it, like the sort of freebies? Uh, or was it
1: I just that was one? I was quite lucky. I only had to do one or two. Okay. Yeah, one or two. But that's
0: not the. You wouldn't say that's the norm.
1: No, no, not so much now, um, because there's Uh, there's so much competition now and not as many productions in Australia. Um, uh, But I imagine over here it's quite different, kind of, because there's a lot more productions going on. And there's a lot more um, education over here um, with internships. There's a lot more placements being offered, whereas in Australia you'll probably only get 10 a year. You know, it's very minimal. Um, so the people who really want to work in the industry, they will work for free, or they'll work on a retainer. Oh, sorry, not a retainer. A, um, uh, oh god, I've forgotten the word. What is it? <laughs> like they'll be um, paid later when the film makes a profit. Right. Okay. Yeah, if the film makes a profit.
0: Okay, so there's, yeah, there's a massive amount of risk. Yeah. There.
1: Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess the thing is to you know find an agent and as soon as you can to get that freelance work so you can actually pay your rent <laughs> and eat. <laughs> it's important.
0: So when you you first got your agent um, and you worked in that sort of freelance model, what mm-hmm. what sort of projects were you were you starting to get sort of early in your career?
1: Uh, uh I was very lucky my very first TV show was working on the American TV series Survivor. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they'd come over f- to shoot uh the the Australian outback. Um and that was a 3 3 or 4 month gig which was shot uh just in remote Queensland and then very far north Queensland in the Um, in the bush by a river, which is lovely. (laughs) Um, And we were really well looked after. um, And uh, that was, yeah, that was an amazing experience. And that was my first paid job. So um, I kind of figured it was always going to be like that. (laughs) But it hasn't been. <laughs> but um, every, every production is completely different. And, uh, yeah, over the past 15 years I found out, you know, there's been tears and heartache and a lot of fun and crazy, you know, crazy situations that have been an incredible experience that you probably only get on a film set. Um, and then the people are amazing. You meet about 150 to 200 people on every different um, production you work on. So so is um, that
0: what keeps you in the industry then, the people?
1: Yeah, the friends I've made, definitely, because we all support each other now, now that we're all experienced, and we always look out for each other and um, are always you know, trying to better each other with um, connections and who we can uh, meet with to work with. And, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't be in the UK if I didn't know an actor that was based in London who I'd met at a reading of a script. So, (laughs) you know, and he, we met for, it was six hours, and we got along really well. And, um, you know, a year later, um, I just sent him a message on Facebook, and, and that was it. And, then, and that's how I became to be here in the UK, which is, you know, quite fascinating, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose
0: like if you're saying you're, you meet like 150 to 200 people potentially per production, uh, I suppose you've got to become quite a good judge of character
1: yeah, everyone has their opinions and there is a lot of animosity. (laughs) But um, I think at the end of the day you spend so many hours with those people. It's 14 or 15-hour days. You don't... You want to get along, you know, you want to make it work and that's what the film industry really is about. It's like making, making it work and making it happen and it's yeah and then the the people around that have that attitude so it's really yeah it's really quite inspirational because
0: hmm. having like worked on a lot of different projects um is there the like, different projects have a very distinct feel about them or is there commonalities that run through every every project uh,
1: definitely um uh I was working in Fiji before I arrived here for three months um, and that was on a US TV show Um, that was incredibly different to say an Australian low-budget feature film Um, both in you know good ways you accept what is good about something and you accept you know what's really crap about the other <laughs> but um, it's kind of it's what you make it it's mm. it's the attitude you bring to the production which really is nice when you meet a nice group of people that are, are there to make it work okay so what are your so, sort of
0: your top three priorities if you're going into production what would it need to have
1: uh, a lot of try and get a lot of sleep <laughs> <laughs> beforehand <laughs> Um, A lot of um, uh, just a positive attitude because everybody is doing long hours um, and you really need to be patient with certain different people in their different roles because, you know, they've been up, you know, until 2 a.m. and back on set at 5 a.m. So it's kind of judging the moments and knowing Uh, Picking your timing of when to speak to people. Just professionalism as well, especially with the director because my role is to sit next to him or her all day, every day and just really trying to make sure we click to begin with and knowing when to uh, give them space because they're constantly thinking of the vision of the film where and they don't normally have have the script with them they've you know they've done a lot of pre-production in their head and they really know what they want the film to look like so in the downtime where there's no filming and the cameras and lights are setting up it's important that they have that uh silence or you know, time to themselves so they can really prepare for the mm. next scene.
0: and so when when you're on on set um, and you're filming, are, are you quite vocal then? Are you moving people about and or are you like passive and more in the background?
1: I'm definitely more in the background. yeah, yeah. Um, so the script supervisor's role is is firstly to make it easy for the director. And secondly, not to speak out of turn Um, but in very subtle ways you need to be able to make them aware that a particular scene or cut or a camera angle won't work. So once you've built that relationship with the director it's quite easy for them to come to you and, and ask straight away. And also having the relationship with the cinematographer is really important because they will come to you as well and check on different shots if they're not sure. I mean, you know, 90% of the time they don't um, necessarily chat to you. But if they have one query, it's nice to be able to collaborate and um, come to a decision that, that this particular scene is going to work mm. so yeah, yeah it's nice to have that collaboration it's yeah.
0: like continuity um for me seems like a, an insane task it is um, <laughs> and that's why they've got millions of programs sort of calling out all these little <laughs> inconsistencies and
1: yes so it's a nightmare <laughs> i don't know why i do it <laughs> <laughs> but how do you how
0: do you make that work how do you ensure that everything has its place and that returns to that place and uh
1: it's what it's your pre-production stages if you're really prepared um before you step on set okay um then you will know what's coming so if there's a hundred scenes in a script and the first day you're shooting five scenes on day one um which are not sequentially shot, by the way. So a schedule is put together by locations and what's available um, for each week. So if you're shooting a low-budget film that have 25 different locations, the location manager needs to organise the dates, of say, when those locations are available, yeah. which means... Obviously, you'll then need to shoot the film out of sequence for those particular locations only. So, yes, so continuity (laughs) comes into that (laughs) extremely well. (laughs) Um, You have your breakdowns of the script. It's a breakdown. Uh, So, costume, props, makeup, and dialogue, and location. So you'll see the first five scenes of a script would be probably five different locations, kind normally. And then so you would break down how many actors are in that first scene, what they're wearing, where they are, and what props they're needed. So if they're in a um, a bedroom, you know they'll be they'll need to be dressed for bed if that's the scene. And then um, what they're wearing, what you know, their makeup, etc.
0: But then let's move on to talk about um, the reason that you're here. Uh Um, Because you mentioned briefly before it was through someone you met at a reading and you then Mm -hmm. sort of saw their post on Facebook Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and then ended up getting in touch to see if they needed a script supervisor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you ended up here. Here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I've always wanted to work in the UK. Because I feel that there is a lot more opportunity, a lot more productions, um, just a lot more happening over here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love working with the Australian industry, but over here, it's you can you just have a lot more opportunity, a lot more, um, and you can grow a lot faster within your career, really. So, yes, yeah, so I've always been on the lookout to um have a chance to work here and a friend of mine who's an actor in London, he had mentioned he was being cast in a film, feature film in Scotland and uh, I just wrote back to him and said, oh, well, do they need a script supervisor quite casually? And he wrote back and said yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so did you know anything about the, the script at that point?
1: No. So then he put me in touch with the director He's a writer-director on this particular film. And we had a chat. He looked at my CV and thought I was perfect for the role. He then sent me the script um, and I wrote him a coverage report. What's oh, a coverage report? I, which I always do, uh, which I do as well when I'm not freelancing as a script supervisor. So a coverage report is... Um, you read the script for a producer and you you basically make them aware of if this is a good film to invest in or not and why it is and why it isn't. And it saves them time reading a lot of bad scripts. You, you kind of like... Cipher through all the, the bad ones to find a good one.
0: So, it was. So what is is it that makes a good script?
1: uh, Oh, character, really comes down to character and an interesting story.
0: So when you say character, what do you what do you mean by that?
1: Uh, Just an interesting person that you want to, you know find out about for two hours while you're sitting in the cinema it has to really um, it just has to be interesting and I guess available to to you really
0: Are there certain that genres or types of writing that you feel that you're drawn towards? Or
1: No, not at all I just like something well written because audiences are really you know very intelligent these days so you can't spoon feed the audience anymore they need to discover things for themselves mm. and it's becoming trickier for screenwriters because it's um because there's so much good TV at the moment it's becoming a lot trickier to mm. tell a story within 2 hours when you know you've got Game of Thrones that has twenty hours of amazing <laughs> scenes and characters and deaths and sword fights, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to compete. So,
0: so uh, schemers is the, the the project that we're, we're talking about. Yes. Um, yes. So, what was it about that that excited you? And do you want to give a little bit of context
1: for anyone who's not sort of heard what schemers is and what it's about? Um, it's based on a true story, set in the 70s, amongst the awesome music, so it's going to have a <laughs> awesome a soundtrack. Um, yeah, just about a, a local guy growing up in the area and uh, making a better life for himself, okay. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, so it's a very inspirational film.
0: It's not a very common thing to see a feature film especially come out of. Out of Dundee. Mm. Um,
1: Apparently it's their first yeah. feature film ever made in Dundee, yeah. which is brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, that alone, to be a part of that, I just couldn't believe that I was a part of that. And history, yeah, yeah being Australian. So yeah. I thought that was really, really special to be um, uh, welcomed onto the crew, really, and being able to work here uh, in the UK, which I've always wanted to do, um, to work with a great crew and production company that supported me to bring me over here Um, because it wasn't easy. They Mm. needed to, you know, um, spend some money and believe in my experience of what I've done and I'm just really thankful I won't ever forget this experience. (laughs)
0: Was <laughs> um, What sort of size of of crew was was involved in the film?
1: Uh, there was only forty forty of us, so this was a low budget. Mm-hmm. So forty or fifty people, you know. Uh, it was a big cast. I think there was about twenty five cast, maybe thirty. And then a big scene. We had uh, at least a hundred extras, local people. So yeah, there's a lot of people involved. <laughs> yeah so it's really nice to be involved and
0: so what, what sort of stage is it at at the moment then
1: uh, post production okay. so yeah, the editor has all the footage at the moment and he's piecing it all together and I've been asked to sit in on a couple of uh, I guess um, uh, sessions where they're looking at um scenes and putting them together, which is quite rare to be asked um, to be involved in post production not... all the footage is normally given to a assistant editor and then goes on to the editor and um, just because this film is just a just a different production for what it is. They've asked me for my input for the post-production stages. I guess because I was involved in the pre-production and the development of the script. Mm. So this is a one-off occasion where this has happened for from pre to post for me, which is like you know incredible. It's it's a really nice honor to be a part of that the whole film. And really help them along with the story because it's quite a complex story as well. And the more uh, people who know the story, um, it is better to have those people around who know and, and have fresh eyes as well on the footage. I haven't seen any of the footage for a few weeks now, so it's good to go back and look at what we've shot and... Instantly say that no, that won't work, but this will, yeah. So it's really nice to be asked to do that.
0: <laughs> so, how does it work then? So, say, um, once the, the edit is, is ready, um, and like the, the sort of the post production phase is, is complete, uh-huh. and everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's going to happen with, with this film?
1: Uh, so what happens with features is, yeah, the producers find a sales agent, okay. And they buy the film and then they will find a distributor to distribute the film. So not only is it hard enough to actually make the film, <laughs> you then have to sell it. Um, find a, you know, a sales agent with a good reputation uh, who will then be behind the story for you and find a distributor uh, you know, in Europe, Australia. UK, wherever, wherever their contacts are yeah, so. so is
0: that sort of that relationship that determines whether it goes into cinemas or, or where it's shown and all, all that sort oh, of stuff? Oh so.
1: definitely because definitely. it could go straight to DVD as well they could find um, you know a sales agent that kind of likes it but um, and doesn't really want to spend much time finding a distributor so and then again they might just love what they're seeing and find the best contact they can to distribute it through the US. So it really depends on relationships and who you know. Mm. And yeah, in this industry. <laughs> so can you ever
0: tell? Like, if you're in the sort of going through the the phase and working on a project, do you ever know? Well, this one is going to make it, or this one? No, I'm not so sure.
1: Um, that's a good question. I do personally, okay, I because I've read a lot of scripts. Um, I have a good feeling that it will do well, but you can never ever predict the the insanity of an audience or an audience that won't even go near it. Um I think Wonder Woman is a great example um, <laughs> that's that made you know half a million half a billion, sorry, in the first weekend worldwide. So, um, which was, I think, three times the amount they were predicting. Um, I mean, of course, it's, you know, based on a comic and it was always going to do well, but, you know, they couldn't predict how well. So, and I've seen it and and I think it's a great story and I know why it's doing well. So I think if I had have read that one, I would have had an idea. Mm. Um, uh, yeah.
0: Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, beyond the, the script supervisor role, you also read a lot of scripts.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, so I write coverage reports, um, which help... Uh, it saves a lot of time for the producer, not to um, spend all their days reading where they can be finding finance for films. So um, they have somebody like me that reads scripts, and you get a nice fee to do that. And then you read, you, you write a report for them and let them know uh, whether it's a strong enough story or whether it needs a lot of work and whether they need to go back to the writer. And fund them to write another draft of the screenplay.
0: So do you have to even, if a script's terrible and you're flicking through, do you have to actually read the whole thing, even if it's dreadful? Yeah. You can't just go, no, that's awful and throw it away.
1: (laughs) I wish. (laughs) If you're being, I mean, if you're being paid to do something, you know, (laughs) I should do it properly. (laughs) But then surely yeah, they're that, paying that is you the wish to determine
0: you... if it's terrible or not. And if it's terrible, then you can...
1: <laughs> you need to tell them why okay. it's terrible. Because you never know, they might be writers, uh, friends with the writer. Okay. And you don't know that. And, you know, because that's what ha- a lot of that happens. You know, a lot of friends will send you a, a screenplay and to producers and mm-hmm. say, hey, Reed, this is really good, I think we should make this. So then that's when they, you know, send it off and, and um, yeah, have somebody else read and, and write a report on how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hand that back and say this is what needs to happen. And then they'll read it and they'll probably agree if it's a really crap film. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So what's what's the, the most enjoyable production you've ever worked on? Uh,
1: Kyle will want me to say Schemers. <laughs> okay, so if you say Schemers is the best, what's the second best? <laughs> um, second best? I guess I'll never forget my very first production, okay. which was, yeah, the American Survivor TV show, um, just because it really opened my eyes completely to the industry Mm -hmm. it gave me the the best of it and the worst of it to be honest the worst being that it finished and I always thought that that's how the industry was (laughs) going (laughs) to be it has been amazing on and off um, but not always not every production is brilliant
0: so in reality what what are the worst bits about Working in the industry then?
1: Uh it's just the long hours. Okay. Yeah. So when um, you
0: say long hours, what are we talking?
1: Um, I worked on a film called Peter Pan, which was really cool. That was a few years after Survivor. And I was on set at 6am and I got home at midnight for 10 months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That was a long shoot. (laughs) Um, But again, it was incredible, an amazing experience. So I can't say it was all bad because I wouldn't have met the people I did on that film, which I still have friends from to this day. So I think, like I said earlier, it's about making, making it work for you and... Everybody else around you, and kind of forgetting about the bad, really, because there's a lot of good. <laughs> uh,
0: when you get your, you sort of schedule together, and say you have so that was obviously like the Peter Pan project.
1: Mm-hmm. Been,
0: I mean, I'm assuming you won't just go off the back of that project; you'll go straight into another one.
1: No, no. How
0: much recovery time is there sort of between between projects?
1: Oh, it varies. Really depends being a freelance that you could go straight on to another show um, or you could have six months off really depends on where you are, the people you've met on the current production, whether they have heard about something else and they're starting the next production a week later that happens. Um, you might be asked to work on a commercial, like a five day TV, commercial, um, which means if you work on a commercial, you can probably have a month off because they're very well paid, <laughs> <laughs> which is what a lot of people do. Um, and some, actually a lot of people just work on commercials. They only freelance out to to work on little short um, shows because they probably have family and, you know, a based in that particular town and they don't want to travel for a film.
0: Um, So you're quite happy to to sort of go wherever the the work is then?
1: Yes. Yes, definitely. Always have been. Um, I worked on Mad Max Fury Road, which was amazing. Like, just the most incredible experience. We were in the studio, uh, Fox Studios in Sydney, and then we got to travel to uh, Broken Hill, which is like a town 10 hours' drive west <laughs> of Sydney. <laughs> so, um, in the middle of the desert. So, that was pretty, pretty cool to work on that with. So, what?
0: Because I was looking up your IMDb sort of uh-huh. CV. Uh-huh. Um, and it, <laughs> that one's classed under stunts. Yes. So not a script supervisor? In, in no,
1: no. So that's actually, yeah, that's a good example of not working as a script supervisor, but freelancing as a, um, in a production role. So with Mad Max, I was one of the office coordinators for the stunt stunt department, which meant... I got to hang out with Tom Hardy <laughs> a lot <laughs> and um organize the incredible stunt performers um just you know coordinating their movements and travel and equipment and things like that for 6 months which was yeah pretty cool. What's uh, what's Tom Hardy like? Hot. <laughs> <laughs> But, okay, no, be, beyond he's the lovely. aesthetic, of home. Yeah, he's um very, very dedicated, a hard, very hard worker, a uh, super polite, you know, very personable. Yeah, just a really good guy with a very nice accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do
0: you now get to go to like fancy parties with famous people and yes, hang out? And...
1: Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's the perks, I guess, isn't mm. it? Yeah, I forgot about those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been some crazy rap parties, that's for sure. Uh, we've had a few good parties in Sydney. Broken Hill was was pretty cool. The Fiji uh, US TV show that was that was really cool. Yeah. So
0: beyond the the and the glamour, when you're
1: trust me, it's not glamorous. <laughs> <laughs>
0: When you're sort of sitting back and relaxing, mm-hmm. what what do you enjoy watching?
1: Ah, uh, uh, I'll watch anything with yeah. a good story. needs It needs to uh, capture my interest within the first ten minutes.
0: Okay, so let's say mm. this year, what's what's a couple of the best things that you've seen this year?
1: Oh, definitely Wonder Woman. Okay. Yeah. That's in terms of film, but um, it's pretty much for film. TV is really what has interested me this year. I've watched the third series of Fargo with Ewan McGregor, which is incredible because he plays two different characters. Yeah, I've not seen it, but... Oh, oh, you have to watch it. It's brilliant. Yeah, he plays two different characters, two different actors with different... You know, makeup and costume. So he's in every scene, Nelly, pretty much, which is incredible for ten episodes, I think it is, or eight. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of TV really has inspired me this year, to be honest. Um, there's a show called Flesh and Bone about ballet dancers okay. in New York, like which is really cool. Really good story. Really good lead female dancer um, who's a really good actor and just a really good character as well. Um, and Game of Thrones is coming up. Yeah. Is the it <laughs> 17th? Yeah. yeah. 17th, is it? I think so. So, mm, so soon. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I know sort of when I'm like wandering through the streets and I see like a bit of graphic design or on the web or whatever, I can never switch off and I find it very difficult not to go, oh, that's not centred or that's mm, not lined right. Um, yeah, I bet. Do you find it difficult to, to switch off when you're watching uh, films or TV? Or-
1: Only if it's bad. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Like, probably kind of like you, where you'll see something not quite right. Um, it does stick out if it's not, if there's a mistake. But um, I definitely don't look for it. Hmm. I do make myself switch off and try and enjoy the story. Um, And then I'll go back and watch it again, if it's good, and then see, really watch how they shot every scene.
0: So is that quite a common thing that you do? Yes. Go back and watch everything? Yes.
1: Yeah. If I really love it, um, like Inception. Um, Brilliant film. Um, And... This week, Kyle and I have been watching Batman, the Christopher Nolan series. So Batman Begins, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rising, like incredible films. And we've been <laughs> picking those apart and just looking at how they shot it.
0: So you quite like doing that with other people, sort of get a few in the room and deep oh, yeah.
1: oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, love doing that. <laughs> it's very nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I
0: suppose it's in the same way that you get. I mean, people love to critique things. Like the amount mm. of stuff online you have just of reviews and, and mm. people picking things apart. And mm-hmm. They love to do it, whether it's design, whether it's TV, whether it's anything, music.
1: That's maybe. right. And that's how you learn, you know, that I think. That's mm. how, you know, you get together and with like minded people and you just really um, teach each other, I guess and figure out how, what they've done and what's CGI, you know, what's a stunt, what's, you know, is that actor doing their stunt and how did they um, uh, choreograph that as well. I mean, working on Mad Max has just, just opened my eyes to just the rehearsals that go into one shot you know one action and how well constructed they are so it's pretty amazing to see firsthand because
0: <laughs> I mean that's often the stuff you don't you don't get to see
1: no no not at all unless they do a behind the scenes you know produce a little um, you know videos which they do a lot of now yeah. which is great for the audiences um yeah otherwise you just don't see it I suppose you, you you're quite
0: far removed from it, um, all those, all the practice, the hours that were put in. You just assume that, mm. oh, there's a stunt double or someone else is doing that or the RSCG did or
1: whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody would know the difference. Yeah, even with when we were watching Batman, um, I'd say, you know, I'd say, oh, they're using a miniature you know, it's not. That's not a real building. And then, and Kyle would say, "No, no, no, it's not." Okay. <laughs> and so we rewind it. Uh, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and it would be. That was um. Yeah, min- working with miniatures is cool because I did a lot of that with Peter Pan. Oh, okay. They had a whole sta- sound stage of miniature sets just on tables, like you know, din- dining tables. Yeah, so it was pretty incredible.
0: There must be a lot of people huddled around this this little table, then.
1: Yeah, there's lots of cameras yeah. <laughs> and lights and um, things, you know, like levers and uh, handles to make um, things move, you know, or make the water flow. And yeah, is that easier it's than dealing
0: cheap. with with people then, with actors?
1: It's cheaper. I think yeah, that's why they they do that. <laughs> A lot more fun too for them, I guess. Yeah. Uh, maybe.
0: <laughs> so, so where do you go from here? What's what's next for you? Where's your next project?
1: Ah, uh, um, I have been offered another feature, okay. which shooting in Glasgow, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Um, so they're going through um the stages of the paperwork with the government for me um yeah so fingers crossed that happens um otherwise i'm actually writing my own feature at the moment so hopefully one day that will get made <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to get someone to read it for me <laughs>
0: and well i mean how long does that process take to write a feature
1: oh years yeah no oh, months, maybe if you if you really settle down and you have been um, commissioned and funded to write, you can probably do a draft in three months. Um, but if you're kind of finding spare time to write, it takes a lot longer because once you're in the the mode of writing, you don't really want to stop, but you kind of need to stop to work and <laughs> make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which helps <laughs>
0: yeah cool um, so if if anyone wants to find you mm-hmm. um, online where, where yes, do they do it yes
1: I have a website which is a very long name <laughs> it's Cool. I'll
0: put a link in the show notes you don't need to
1: spell it so. okay <laughs> cool yeah. that's good easy thank yeah. you very much thank you for having me
0: so that was Angie. Uh, thank you very much to her for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed that chat. Really interesting, and yeah, found out what a script supervisor does. So yeah, um, that's pretty much it for this week. Um, as usual, please follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. It's at CCC Dundee or join the group on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cccdundee. And that's where everything will be kept up to date. You can find out about the latest episodes and anything else will be up to the podcast, as well as all the merchandise. And you can obviously go to the website, cccdundee.com. And that's it for this week. The only thing I've got left to do is to recommend another podcast. And this week it is called Do the Right Thing. And it's a sort of half an hour panel show, if you like. Um, they have some sort of regulars on there, regular comedians. And then they have a couple of guest comedians every week. And it's, it's been going for, I think, six seasons now. They're taking a bit of a break at the moment. I don't know if there's plans to bring it back, but the back catalogue is definitely worth a listen. Probably not one if you're easily offended, um, but it is hilarious nonetheless. Um, it's based upon the scenarios within which you would do the right thing so you're the, the panellists are presented with a scenario and then they're asked to give uh, a sort of retort to that and what they would do as the quote-unquote right thing um, yeah, I mean they've had so many brilliant comedians on over the episodes it is really worth a, a troll through the back catalogue and it only being 20 to 30 minutes it's a great, just a little quick one as well um, so yeah, I'd highly recommend that that's Do The Right Thing uh, again, link link in the show notes so that's it Um, Until next week, goodbye.